Oh my gosh, I call it my lifelong learner affliction. Power to Live More with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience. I'm Joe Dodds and I started this show back in 2016 to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean how they focus on productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience to enable them to do more of the stuff that they want to do and less of the stuff that they don't. After 241 shows, I've taken a pause from doing new interviews to reshare previous interviews. They were too good to not revisit. So please do bear in mind that this podcast might refer to events from the past as current or in the future. But rest assured that the stories, tips and advice shared by my guests continues to be pure gold. Hello, my name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Joe's interviewing Todd Palmer. Todd knows that growth happens only once we lean into the uncomfortable, and he knows from personal experience. Todd went from being a struggling entrepreneur with $600,000 in debt to making the Inc. 5000 a record total of six times, as one of America's fastest growing companies. Today, as a collaborative business advisor and CEO of Extraordinary Advisors, Todd helps his clients ditch their comfort zone, dive into their failures, and reframe their mindset to be more authentic, transparent and vulnerable to affect real change along the path to success. He knows that business success begins and ends with people and he isn't happy until his clients trust themselves and leaders and their decisions. His job is only finished when teams trust the leaders and each other, when CEOs and their leadership teams take action towards high-level achievement resulting in clients that trust the company, read more sales, more profits, more partnerships. Todd is also author of the popular book, The Job Search Process, Find and Land a Great Job in Six Weeks or Less. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing Todd Palmer of Extraordinary Advisors. Welcome Todd, thanks for joining me. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Lovely. So start by telling us who you are, what you do, and crucially, where you do it. So yeah, so what I'm doing currently with my life is I'm a retired CEO. I was a CEO for over 25 years, and now I'm helping other CEOs, leaders, and generally anybody who's going through a period of life where they're stuck to get unstuck. And I do that through my company, Extraordinary Advisors. Essentially, it's it's leadership training. It's a, it's a lot of inside-out leadership training specifically to help people get unstuck around things like COVID, to get unstuck around things like uh, chaos and, and crisis when they're within their businesses. And the, the interesting shift in 2020 and into 2021 is the shift of helping them get unstuck around some of their family challenges as well. Yes. Yeah. It has been a, an interesting time. And, um, and where are you based? So I'm, I'm based in the United States and actually Detroit, Michigan. Um, but I've got clients literally around the globe. And, um, you're presumably based from home currently, are you normally based from home? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I really do. So for so long, I was going into an office for, you know, a quarter century. And I really love working from home. I, I've created a home office environment that is very conducive to the work that I do. I feel very much 
um, in a very safe space in my office. I've had some clients actually come to my home for the work we do. And yeah. it, it's, it's an environment where um, I feel like if I'm in a happy, good spot, I'm in a much better coaching mindset to, to listen, to absorb, not to respond and to help others because I'm in such a good centered place myself. Mm, mm, sounds great. So talk a bit about the transition from corporate into what you do now, sort of people who have corporate roles, senior roles don't always end up then coaching people and, and working on the sorts of things that you're working on. How did that all come about? Well, you know, it came from the, from the real passion that I developed for coaching. Um, I actually hired a coach when my business was in really bad shape. And the, the, the things that I learned from this coach and how I applied them to my life and how I applied them to my business. And then I started working with friends of mine who are entrepreneurs and CEOs. And I found that I, that I, found that I really loved the work and it, was, it didn't feel like work to me. And I learned in that process that actually the, the coaching and the, the teaching aspect of things actually gave me energy. It didn't deplete my energy. When I was a CEO, I, I would go home by the end of the night, want to crawl into bed and dread sometimes the next day where now when I'm working with my clients, uh, I, I'm excited for my next day. I, I've got more energy often at the end of my day, at the beginning of my day. So I knew I was in the right spot. Mm-hmm. And what about that transition from working uh, in an office with people? Presumably you had lots of opportunity to delegate. <laughs> yes. And, uh, I, 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 there are days when I miss that. Yes. <laughs> was that... Um, how did you go through that initial transition? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I was at one point in my career, I was a terrible delegator. When I started the company, like most entrepreneurs and CEOs, we, we start out being all things to all people all the time. I was the salesperson. I was the operations person. I did the accounting. I did the human resources. And, you know, I was the person who walked in in the morning and turned on the lights. I was the person who left at the end of the day and turned off the lights. I had to, to do all things to all people. And, I found that that had, had a lot of limits to it. And so as I got better at delegating, or at least I thought I was delegating, it actually in the short term made the business worse because I would, would advocate. I wouldn't delegate. I didn't have KPIs. I didn't have things to follow up on. I didn't have the, the proper measurables in place. So it took me a long time to become a much better delegator. So now that I'm, I'm essentially a solo practitioner as a coach, um, when I delegate, delegate things to now to someone I'd find on Fiverr or someone I find on freelancer.com or some of the vendors that I still work with, I'm, ve- I'm much more timeline driven. I, I measure the data. I, I'm very schedule driven when it comes to not only my time, but their, their performance and their deliverables. So I've learned over the course of time due to my poor delegation to be a much more project manager delegator than I was even when I was a CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you work with your clients? What do your days look like? Oh, gosh. Um, so my model is very simple. Um, I do four, cl- four calls per month, which each one, each one of my coaching clients for 30 minutes. And then I also offer them what I call concierge service. And what that means is I am available to them essentially 24-7, 365, because I find that the coaching part that I enjoy the most is when they call me when they're in chaos and crisis, believe it or not. And so just before we got on our call today, I had a client reach out, hey, can you talk right now? I said, I'll be done. I'll be able to talk to you in about an hour after I get done with my podcast appearance because you know, I've got this commitment to, to Joe. But when I'm done, I want to be available for you because I find that's when they learn the most. That's when I take it on. So where a lot of coaches are very rigid in their schedules, they like to do quarterly meetings, then two, two calls a month. I really like walking in the weeds with my clients. And what I explain to them and why I enjoy that is, I've done my hero's journey as a CEO. 
that that time for me has come and gone. Uh, I did did well with that. Now I'm the 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 champion of someone else's hero's journey. I'm the guide of their hero's journey, and I can only best guide them when I know that they're in chaos and crisis, or when they're in the midst of a big decision or the midst of a big deal. That's mm-hmm. when I can be the most valuable to them. So I want them to reach out to me. I encourage them to re- reach out to me. So my pricing comes down to it's it, it's a flat per fee month. Whether they, they talk to me twice a month, four times a month, or six times a month, they pay the same. So they don't have to worry about like an attorney or, or another professional. If they pick up the phone, there's going to be an extra charge. Mm-hmm. And how did you craft that? Did you just look at what you wanted to do, how you wanted to work and come up with something that fitted that? Or has it evolved over time? Oh, I love that question. So it actually, so I still use a coach. So I coach, I've used coaches now for the last 15 years. I'm on my second coach. And I actually got that model from him. His name is Dr. Danny Friedland. He's out of San Diego, California here in the US. And that's the model I have with him where I talk with him two hours a month. And then he's available to me pretty much anytime I, you know, I, I need that, that quick fix. And so I really modeled that for him. The coach I had previous to that was a very much a business coach. And he also had a very similar model where, you know, he kind of was that lifeline, that, that phone a friend for me when I was <laughs> in chaos and crisis when my business went nearly crashed and burned. So that's what I've always seen. I know a lot of other coaches do things differently, but I, I found that by the coaches and the mentors that I've had in my life, that's what feels most comfortable to me. Now that's what I want to give back to the world. Yes. And, and how lucky that you found something that worked for you that other people were doing and were modeling for you that you've been able to implement as well. So many coaches go through various iterations of their model before they end up happy <laughs> with, with what they're providing. Oh, I can imagine that's, that's gotta be incredibly stressful for them first and foremost, but also for me, it, it's again, like I mentioned with my energy, I've realized that o- over the course of time that my job as a coach is to really teach my clients to self-coach. My, so I can only do that when I'm in that moment. So I, I've got to set the expectation with them and the intention with them that I'm there for them. But also what I've had to do is with my family is do the same thing that, you know, I, you know, they love, they love our life. We, we have a great life and someone pays for that. It's our clients. And yeah. so our clients, if they need me and I can be available to them, I, I will step out of my family role, go into my coaching role and then resume because by having that upfront contract with my family, they know that when I'm present with them, I'm fully present and I'm not thinking about my clients and I'm not thinking about something else necessarily. So that everybody gets the best of me and the very best of the ways I can deliver it, which is again, being fully present for them in the moment uh, as much as possible. Yes. And what about sort of general day-to-day sort of prioritizing between work and life? I mean, clearly, as you've said, you've got those moments where you're with your family, you've got those moments where you get that call um, but on a, a normal day where you, you don't have those calls coming in, do you have a way of integrating your day so that you spend time in both of those areas? I absolutely do. Um, on the other side of the wall, and my, I'm at my home office right now, is my family. We're doing homeschooling right now during these, these COVID times. And I, I have to move in and out of both worlds. And so I become very schedule focused. Um, and I find that it's very, very easy for me if I don't have a schedule and an itinerary for my day to lose my day getting wrapped up in watching television or getting wrapped up in, in, in some other unproductive things. So I find that if I start my day going to the gym every day, and then I come home and I have my first call with a client. I usually try to get an early morning client between 8 and 9 a.m. And if I can space out my time with breaks included, then I can live in both worlds really well. 
if I've got a whole day full of clients or a whole empty day, that's where it gets a little a little crazy because inevitably the day where I've got you know seven client calls and they're each an hour. By the time I, you know the family needs me for something, I'm not available. The <laughs> other thing is if I've got too much free time, uh, I find myself like most like you know shiny chasing entrepreneurs. Uh, CEO types that I, I'll find myself get myself in all kinds of trouble and not pay attention. <laughs> so what I did fill that gap was I I just I just completed my second book. So when I had when COVID hit, I, I really buckled down and, and I've been working on this book for on and off for about five years and I just completed that and that'll be out uh, February 2021 because it was a really good chance for me to 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 hone my skills, sharpen the blade about how I coach, how I do it, the the the, the influences I've had over 27 years as a CEO so that I could give that back to the world. Now, what's going to, I'm envisioning is going to happen is my schedule is going to get even tighter as I've got different podcasts to appear on different media opportunities that will come my way. And uh, it should, you know, the, the plan is that, you know, once the book is out, my client roster will be filled out and then we'll start moving into doing mastermind groups and other, other experience share type of environments because my capacity as a full-time coach will be reached. Yes, yeah. And you mentioned at the beginning when you were talking about what you do, the sort of impact that, that COVID has had. And obviously, one of the things for you is, is, it, is it prompted the completion of the book, but you talked about working with people in light of the situation. What have you seen in working with your clients and in, in the sort of coaching world where you are? Well, you know, I've seen a lot of people just go into shutdown. I've seen a lot of people get wrapped up in the chaos and the crisis and the itty bitty shitty committee in their head that meets and tells them how much they suck and how they should have known COVID was happening. and They should have known this and they should have known that. And they should all over themselves. And like, it doesn't work that way. And what I'll often do is uh, I do, I've been doing, I was supposed to be on six stages in three countries in March that all got taken away due to travel restrictions and COVID shutdowns. So what I started doing is I started volunteering my time for, for podca- more podcasts, volunteering my time for more webinars, more seminars, more online traction programs. And, I, and, I, and within 42 days, I, I, I talked to over 60 CEOs, 30-minute mm. coaching calls, and getting them unstuck around what was holding them back. Mm. And, 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 I, and I did that from a position of, I know what it's like to be in chaos and crisis. I, I've been there, done that, and survived that. Because in 2006, I nearly crashed my business into the ground. I was $600,000 in debt. I was two months away from running out of all of my money. I finally put my hand up and decided I didn't have to have all the answers all the time. I decided to deal with my imposter syndrome. And when I talk about that, inevitably someone will want to reach out and have a conversation because they're dealing with a very similar thing. Mm-hmm. And the fact that when I hired my coach, we, we, he helped dig out of the program. We put together a different business model. Within eight years, we paid off all $600,000 in debt we had occurred. And we made the Inc. 5000 as one of the fastest growing companies in America an amazing six times. So that's the end of my hero's journey. I'd gotten through the tough times. So now when I'm talking to someone or they see me, like I did a a program for Malaysia where I had 70 CEOs on the screen and they're all pinging me with questions because they're afraid. afraid. And they're saying, I I should have this, I should have that. I I can very much relate to where where they are because I used to be them. And now I have a a mental model, a mind frame model to get them unstuck around all the things that are holding them back. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you keep using the word unstuck. That's one that uh, has uh, formed part of my marketing in the last few months, um, which I hadn't, I'd, I'd not really used before. I'm still doing the things that I ever did, but unstuck was the <laughs> word that I started using recently. And uh, I think that's, it's so sort of um, evocative of what happens to so many business people, whether that be business owners or, or business leaders. But the reasons for that stuckness can be quite different. So my focus is on 
productivity and systems and well-being and that sort of thing what would you say your your specialisms if you like in the unstuckness land sure <laughs> so and i appreciate the question so much because what what i do is so I've got, co- I work with some other coaches and they, they will refer clients to me who they've put in systems, they put in processes, the whole team has agreed to, to, to follow the system and do the process. And yet nothing ever gets done. Yeah. That's when they bring me in because I, there's a reason why it's not happening. And I, I it's my, been my experience and every one of my coaching clients, I'm not sure it's, it's because of who I am or who I attract. Um, the bottleneck is always at the top. It's always the CEO that why things aren't getting done. It's always the CEO who's giving themselves the law of avoidance, that their, 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 their imagery of who they are is keeping them stuck and they don't want to upset the apple cart. So they're going to bring in the processes, they're going to put window dressing on it, but they're not going to really hold anybody accountable. So what I come in is, is I really come in and help them unpack why they won't do what they need to do, what's holding them back. A lot of times it takes them back to childhood. A lot of times it takes them back to messages they put in their brains. Like I used to put in my brain for years that the only person I can trust is me and I don't want to delegate. And if I delegate, people should get it the first time. And so I'll put a lot of, so what I do for them is I help them understand what mindset they have around process, for example. A lot of people will say, well, processes we're gonna, are going to minimize my creativity. And I take them through an exercise where it actually shows that if you have proper processes, it actually frees up your creativity. Yeah. They've never yeah. even thought of that. And so then, they, then we, create a, we identify the mindset that's not working for them. And the second thing I do for them is I help them set an intention, not an expectation of what they want to see happen. And I'll often use myself as the example. I'll say, when I was $600,000 in debt, I had the intention around that. I want to be out of debt. I couldn't have an expectation of how that was going to happen. So what I had to do is I had to create a strategy to around that intention, which tied into the mindset of my mindset was what I was doing wasn't working. I need to do something differently. So we create a strategy to get out of debt. And then we're going to iterate the heck out of the thing. We're going to try a bunch of different things. We're going to keep what works and we're going to get rid of what doesn't. And partially what I often have to talk them through is that failure is just a construct. It's not an existence. So you tried something that didn't work. It doesn't make you a failure. Because if you tried it and it didn't work and you learned something from it, it's an absolute success. Mm. Even if you learned what your idea was, wasn't a good idea. Okay, great. Let's cross it off list. And I, my job is to keep them kind of accountable to the next step, accountable to the next step in their process, the next step in their, in their iteration through the problem solving that they need to do. And often the problem solving then requires the processes that people like you put in place that keep, keep them on track. Mm-hmm. So people get coaches involved with them for all sorts of different reasons. And, and you sort of put the, the turning point for you down as having a coach and obviously, you know, doing the same for other people now. Can you remember what drove you to do that? To, you know, to be in that position of, of such a challenge in your business, it isn't always to go and get a coach or to go and ask somebody for help. What, what was the trigger for you? Do you know why you decided that was what you needed? I mean, Oh, why I said you need a coach? Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's really easy. The bank was going to take my house. I was going to lose my, uh, I was going to lose everything. And, and a friend of mine said, um, you're, you're so wrapped up in pride and ego that you can't get yourself unstuck. Mm-hmm. Pride and ego will co- you know, collaborate with us and co-sign our baloney and it will, it will keep us stuck because that's what it does. Yeah, and so, yeah. so f- that's what I was going through, and I was so and my imposter syndrome was telling me how much of a failure I really was, and and I realized 
I realized I could I couldn't continue to do what I had been doing because it was no longer working. So it did a lot. I started doing a lot of inner work. And when I hired the coach, that one of the first things he helped me do was, you know, we called it the five positives. I have to do five positive things every day because I was literally clinically depressed. So the five positives would I had to report to him every single day the five positive things I did. So we're doing the program for a week or two, and I don't report in. It's like five o'clock. The phone rings. Um, I didn't get your report. Well, yeah, I, I didn't do anything positive today. All right, so why didn't you call me and tell me you weren't going to do anything positive? Because clearly, eight, nine, ten hours ago, you knew this wasn't. And he just kind of like held me accountable. Yes. And that's what it, for me is. And that's how I coach because entrepreneurs, by and large, don't want to be held accountable. We don't want to have a boss. No. Well, the reality is sometimes we need someone to hold us accountable. And the beautiful thing, what my coach taught me was he held me accountable when I said I wanted. He said, you want to be honest, you want to be $600,000 out of debt, yet you did nothing for that today. Tell me why. Well, I just don't, I don't have any new ideas. Well, if you had an idea, what would it look like? Well, I might have tried this and I might have, and he kept, and he started unwinding my Gordian yeah. knot of being stuck. Yeah. And so now when I, when I work with my clients, I, I very, I'm very clear to them. My program has massive curiosity and there's massive accountability to what you say you want. So, mm -hmm. So Joe, if you don't want this anymore, it's your responsibility to tell me I don't want this anymore and we'll give you, we'll create new goals and we'll create new things to keep you going on track of what you want. Because you can have anything you want to have, but you got to do the work to get there because yeah. you're the one who can control that. And when I lay that out for my clients, quick story on that, I had a client who was really struggling growing his business and he had two leaders on his team that were really holding him back. And the story he told himself was nice people don't fire other people. Right. That was the mantra he had. So once we identified what was his bottleneck, eventually one person left on their own and one person was let go. Mm -hmm. He broke the bottleneck free, got the right leaders going in the right direction. And within one year, I kid you not, his revenue was up 70% and his profits were up 500%. Wow. Yeah. Because he got unstuck and he, and he changed how he saw himself. He removed the bottleneck internally and then he removed the bottlenecks within the organization. Because ultimately, I think at least the clients that I work with, I tell them two things. Your job as a CEO is to remove bottlenecks within the organization, wherever they are, and people. And you've got to have a safe space where people can bring to you the brutal reality of some of these bottlenecks, including in, the, in this case, you've got two key leaders that are holding the company back. Mm -hmm. And the second thing you do is you make it easy. You make it easy for companies to want to work with you as your clients, and you make it easy for people to want to work for you as an employ employee or team member. That's it. That's what, that's what it takes to be a CEO. It's really pretty simple until it gets really hard. <laughs> yeah. I was um, interviewing somebody on another podcast I do about employee engagement this week, and we were talking about honesty. And I was saying about how there was some research in the UK that uh, Engage for Success, the national movement around engagement that I work with, um, did with Asheridge Business School. And they looked at the CEOs and their employee engagement and their sort of attitude to it. And one of the things that always struck me as really interesting and really true um, that came out of it was that um, the CEO struggled with the whole concept of vulnerability. So, mm. you know, they, they, they thought people were expecting them to know everything, lead from the front and never admit that they were wrong or didn't know what they were doing. And actually, if they could crack that, that made a ah. massive difference. And that's sort of what you're saying, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. So there's a whole chapter in my book I call it ATV, Authenticity, Transparency, and Vulnerability. And how we have to, when we, if we're going to have to lead from the front, that's fine. If we're going to go, you know, if we're going to lead from the front, tell your team you don't necessarily have all the answers. Include others in your conversations. Stand up and say, 
you know, I, I do this exercise, usually the first or second exercise I do with my leadership teams when I've got, you know, the, the CEO and his 10 executives. And I always tell them ahead of time what's going to happen. And they often they'll, they'll bite the hand that feeds them. And then I'll say, here's the deal. We're going to have this, this quarterly meeting to set up your, your goals, your rocks, your KPIs, et cetera. You speak last, Mr. CEO, Ms. CEO. <laughs> and all you do is if someone's got a better idea than you, you disagree with Bob or Jane's idea and we move on. It's not about you. It's about the betterment of the organization. My job as a coach is to, to advocate for the best idea, not for the person who's paying me. I kid you not, every time someone, and I, it now becomes a joke because like, well, they always want to start the conversation off. And like, see what the collective wisdom of your team is. And then you can, if you still think you have the best idea, let's put it on there. Then we'll, we'll figure out as a collective where we need to go to get the organization where it needs to go. And yeah. it's okay to say, I don't have all the answers. It's okay to say, I need your help. That makes you vulnerable. You know, I had a, I had a leader that in COVID, it was shut down. She was really stressed out about it. She was in manufacturing and she was sending out an email every day to her people, giving them updates. She was doing what I asked her to do and, and over-communicating. And she was getting no, no audience with her team. So I said, why don't you do this? Why don't you shoot a video because you're a heart-centered leader and she's just the bit nicest human being and, and tell them what you really think. Like, I miss you. I miss seeing you. I hope you're all well. I'm here for you. If you need me beyond business, and then give them the update. She sends this video out. And then with 15 minutes, she heard back from 18 of her leaders Oh man, it's so great to see you. And they started shooting videos back to her. She changed every, how they communicated now to everything's on video. This is, you know, this is in March. Mm-hmm. And, and she goes, well, I was, she goes, I was doing what you said to do to communicate. I said, it's not just communication for the sake of crossing off your to-do list. It's communicate authentically from your true essence. One of my mm-hmm. favorite authors is a guy named David Rendell. He wrote a book called Freak Factor. And in the book, it talks about play to your strengths. Enhance your strengths, minimize your weaknesses. So if you're a heart-centered leader and you love your people, tell them. If you, and you don't have to have all the answers. They will want to help you. They want you to follow you, even if the following is like, hey, we're going to head over in that direction. I don't have all the answers. As we go, we're going to continually evaluate that. I mean, you look at the military. They make decisions, life and death decisions with 30 to 40% of the information and constantly pivot. And in business, there's nothing wrong with us following that model. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So changing to think a bit more about you personally, you sound like you have a, a busy day, but also, as you said, that integration between home life and, and work life um, and potentially interruptions if your coaches are, are on the phone to you in their current crisis. How do you make sure you get done what you need to get done? Well, it's, it's a great question. So I, I lay out my week a week ahead of time. So every Sunday I yep. lay out my week, know what I've got going on. I leave, I leave myself space to breathe on my calendar. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I'm always upfront with people to when I'm available, when I'm not available to a certain point. There, yep. there, are, there are certain appointments that I have that are just downtime appointments for myself because I realize as a coach, my greatest asset beyond my, my experience is my energy. Mm-hmm. And if my energy is low, I, I really, uh, I don't feel like I deliver like I need to. So typically I, do, I try not to do evening appointments, for example. I know I'm a morning person, so I protect that time. Um, what I also take a look at is how can I do some self-care throughout the course of my day? So for example, I will go to the gym. I, um, you know, in the summertime, I'll, I'll go for a run in my neighborhood just to kind of break free and clear my sp- headspace a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I build in, you know, middle, like the middle of the Tuesday, you know, I'll build in a two hour family appointment. Hey, we're going to watch a movie or we're going to do this or we're going to do that. And mm-hmm. so to 
connected. Because like you mentioned earlier, I love the word integration. It's, it's always work-life integration. It's never work-life balance. Yeah. Mm. And how do you manage your task list? What, what sort of tools do you use? Or is it pen and paper like most of my guests? <laughs> yeah, but, well, because, uh, because I'm very specific in what I do, I don't need a lot of tools. Yeah. Um, like, but the tools I do use, so like I use, um, I use an email campaign program mm-hmm. um, called Active Campaign for my marketing. Yeah. Um, but I, I realized that I stink at it. It's not my unique ability. So I found someone else and I outsourced it. Okay. I hold them account. I hold them accountable to the calendar. We have our our monthly meetings about what the messaging is going to be, and that's that. And yeah. my job then is to show up. Um, I do some writing outside of my book, and I, I lay that calendar out. That it's on my calendar, and I block out time for that. Um, the great thing about but here's what I have learned about the coaching business, at least for me, is every time I make a plan on how it's going to go, it never works. I hate to say that because for people who are planners, it probably makes them like there's their hair in the back of their neck is just standing up. My job, my job is to show up and meet my clients in the moment of where they are. So I start every conversation off by what would be most helpful for you today. Now that my process is they 24 hours before our call, they all turn in their, their pre-work. I call it pre-work homework. And it lays out where they are, what's going on, what their biggest challenges are, and what they need the most help from me on. But I always leave that space to breathe at the beginning of the conversation if something is a hot button issue for them. So yeah. that's worked really, really well for me, and it's kept, kept people on task. And what the clients report in and what they like about the homework is, even though they all, never, none of them ever want to do it, but <laughs> what, they've, what they've eventually learned to embrace is it helps them clear their heads on what they want to talk to me about them and what's most important to them so that they can show up and be prepared for the conversation versus winging it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? I certainly, when I coach my um, clients, the ones that do prepare, it's such a more it's such a more that's not even not good English such a more useful conversation that doesn't sound right does it <laughs> <laughs> I get I get your point though it, it, it's it's a much more value it's a, I find it to be a, a richer conversation for both ends of the dialogue I'm coming in I have an idea of what you want I've got notes made out it holds me accountable to show up and make sure I read your stuff but also as you clear your mechanism and clear your mind you actually a lot of times they show up in a much less heightened state versus yeah. if I if I get on the phone with them and their entire world is on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned outsourcing earlier, uh, and we talked about delegation at the beginning in your sort of CEO role. Did you find outsourcing easy because you've delegated in the past? Because quite often people who are working more singularly really struggle with that. And even when they decide to do it, it is quite difficult to sort of get so that I, first bit done if you like it it always seems much easier once you've done it once but <laughs> yeah so so it was a challenge for me in the beginning here and here's what I, what I learned is I, I value my time and my energy more than my money yeah so you know for you know, I'll keep it simple um, I, I have someone who cuts my lawn I don't mow my own lawn um, I haven't mowed my own lawn since ni- since 2008. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm a, yep. I love that you know the the, uh, the year. Well, because cool, cool, I I had I had a, I have a son, and it was his job to mow the lawn for a long time. So I, I mean, I, I internally outsourced it to our household. But once he left, and here's why I don't mow my lawn, and it's not because you know someone said to me, "Oh, you think you're better than other people and everything else." It actually takes me back to childhood. I grew up on a farm, and one of my jobs on a farm was to mow the lawn. I hated it, and it would be like a a six hour Saturday experience. I had 48 acres that I was, you know, I grew oh. up on. Yeah. And we didn't, I mean, over the, yeah, it, it, it was, it was not a lot of fun. And so right. 
my, my goal, one of my, my mini goals in life was to not have to mow my lawn, yes. but I felt guilty about it that, you know, you see these, these, these stories of these <laughs> CEOs who still do their own gardening and they mow their own lawn. And I thought that's how a CEO should behave. It should be, you know, that, that, you know, put your hands in the earth kind of guy. And so I'm talking with another friend of mine who's a CEO and he said, well, I think you should just do this really simple exercise. Do you get any joy out of mowing your lawn? No, very clear. No. In fact, I think I said, hell no, hell no. I don't, I don't enjoy doing it. I feel like I should do it. Yeah. How long does it take you to do it? I said, it takes me two hours to mow my lawn. All right. What do you bill per hour? And I told him, he goes, um, <laughs> give yourself the permission to hire the kid next door for 25 bucks to mow your lawn because you, you, in the two hours of headspace you've just given yourself, you're going to make a ton more money and you're going to be a whole lot less grumpier. Like, yes. Makes sense. <laughs> so, so I kind of approach it and like here are the, you know, and, and my, my, my family, I'll tell you this, there's only a few things in life I do pretty well. There's a whole list of things I do really badly. So why not outsource what I do badly, delegate what I do badly, poorly, weakly, and that I don't really get enjoy. It's not like I, you know, I'm not a very good cook, so I eat out a lot. Now, if I wanted to be a better cook and I wanted to take the classes or, or have someone teach me and I got joy out of cooking, that's different. But yeah. I don't get, I get joy out of eating. I don't get joy out of cooking. So <laughs> How do I delegate those things out? And just for me, it's worked out really, really well. But I will tell you this. I still do my own laundry. Oh, very and, good. Very good. And, you guys need to win out of that, though. <laughs> well, you know, being a, being a single parent, I, I had to learn how to do laundry. I just, I just do my own laundry because I like my stuff clean. And I like it cleaned a certain way. And I like it just done. And so, like, you know, it, it, you know in, my, in my current domestic relationship, she's like, I'll do your laundry. I said, no, I'll just, I'll, I'm going to maintain that. I'm going to keep that to myself. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, 2020 is going to go down in history as the year when I um, bought a robot Hoover. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> because um, our, our cleaner stopped coming during uh, lockdown. Sure, sure. It made sense. I continued to pay her, but I said, please don't come. Um, and sure. our house got worse and worse and worse because house stuff is not um, something that I enjoy or have time for. And uh, and then I saw a friend online um, at some deal day and uh, not recently but a few weeks few weeks ago saying that she just bought a second one and I was like oh what, what's that you know and looked it all up and I ended up um, buying one and oh my god our house has never looked cleaner because every floor doesn't need hoovering because it's all being done <laughs> through the robot and of course that has a knock-on effect that I now want to clean other things up and tidy other places and everything else because it all looks great whereas for a long time it was looking a bit rough I have to say <laughs> <laughs> well there you go there you go no I have been accused of being gadget woman but I tell you it's uh, it's life transforming having a robot hoover I have to say it's a bit like you're getting someone else to mow your lawn your, your lawn looks lovely and you don't have to do it <laughs> yeah well and I, and I don't have to be yeah you know, even better than that yes it look it does look better than when I don't do it and I'm not resentful about it I'm not crabby yeah. about it yeah. And I, I, I'm not beating myself up when I don't do it. So I'm, I'm not collaborating with some of my, my, my nonsense as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even better, my husband's got so excited about it. He's the one that moves the hoover around the house to make it all perfect. So I don't even have to do that bit. <laughs> so so you, you've really got this down to a science. <laughs> exactly. I'm just looking out for more gadgets now to see what else I can get to make life so much easier. <laughs> there you go. I love it. So what about um, learning and improving yourself? I think as coaches, that's something that we all sort of quite naturally do. What sort of things do you do? Oh, my gosh. I call it my lifelong learner affliction. Um, <laughs> I, I, and it's, and it's, it's crazy because I'm constantly challenging myself to learn something new. And it, 
for me, it doesn't bother, but I'm, it's amazing when I was a CEO, it drove other people crazy because I'd always come into meetings with new ideas. Um, that worked really well when we were in turnaround mode, but when we were, in, you know, when we were stabilized, that, that drove other people bananas. Uh, <laughs> same thing at my house. I like, go, well, well, what if we tried this? And what if we did this? Um, so I've, I've learned to throttle it back a little bit in regards to what I'm learning. So what I do, what I do really enjoy about learning is I, I, I'm an, more of an audio learner or a video learner, less a book learner. So yeah. I, I'll do a lot of books on, uh, on audible audio. I, I find that I learn, I learn my style is in bite-sized chunks, 15 to 30 minute chunks. So I've actually set this program up. So my, my drive to my gym is 15 minutes away. Mm-hmm. So I'll get in the car and I'll put my book on and I'll listen to it for 15 minutes or I'll listen to a podcast for 15 minutes. And if it, I kind of challenge myself that if it captures my attention, I and now I have a two hour workout ahead of me, I can take it with me. Or if I've gotten my, my little, my little vitamin fix on the, on the audible, I, I can then turn it off and resume it tomorrow or whenever. And I find that it, it really helps me go through the, the day with, with new ideas because what I find is my clients inevitably come up with problems, issues in, in challenges that somehow folds magically right into the book that I'm reading or yeah. I, you know, the book I had just completed. Like I had a client the other day call me up. She has to renegotiate her lease um, and she's really stressed out about it. She's got a personal guarantee attached. It's you know hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of potential loss to her and her business is just barely hanging on. And I said, well, have you read the, the book Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss? She's like, what? She was, that's a book on hostage negotiation. I said, oh no, it's a book about negotiation. Because she came in with, to me with a, on our call with a plan. Like, well, I'm going to offer them this kind of money. I said, my question to you is, do you know what's most important to them? She says, well, it's got to be money. I said, does it? <laughs> she's like, yeah. well, maybe it's not. So she read the, she read the book in a weekend. And so on our call this week, we're, she's going to lay out all the different questions she's going to go into this conversation with her landlord, landlord to flesh mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. what he wants, yeah. what's important to him. And she's like, I never, I, she goes, I took such a very narrow view of the conversation. I really appreciate that you're challenging me to see it differently. So mm-hmm. because I am a lifelong learner, I'm constantly listening to new things, learning new things. A lot of my friends are coaches and speakers. I'm always paying attention to what they're, they're going through because I find that, you know, the last thing I want to be as a coach is being, being seen as stale or outdated. So it's kind of a personal challenge for myself to always try to stay in front of things, listen to what people are talking about, pay attention to things. And, and that's, that's my lifelong learner affliction. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Do you, do you shorten that? What would that be? LLA? Your yes. I, I have LLA disease. I, I'm going to my 12 step LLA meeting. Hi, I'm Todd. I, I'm a lifelong learner. It's going <laughs> to be a challenge. <laughs> Actually, you just reminded me before the interview, I always ask if you've got specific questions that um, I might, might ask. I don't always ask them, but you've just reminded me with your 12 step thing that you talk about the parallels between the entrepreneurial mindset and a 12-step recovery program. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's, it's, for, to me, it's a real fascinating study where you know, an entrepreneur and, and someone with a substance issue, whether it's you know, drugs or alcohol, they're, often their brains work very differently. And I learned this from my coach. And you know, as an entrepreneur, we're often looking for the next bright and shiny thing. As, for an entrepreneur, we're often letting people down. As an entrepreneur, we're often uh, very self-focused. You take that, lay that up against the behavior of an alcoholic. An alcoholic's looking for the next high. Um, they're often feeling guilt and shame because they let somebody down. They're, that behavior then causes them to be very self-focused. So you take a look at the behaviors and how they manifest themselves. Well, ultimately, for me, it arrives at the very bottom of that, that funnel is 
a lot of people will choose drugs and alcohol to fill an emptiness or fill a pain within. The same can often be said for a lot of, not all, but a lot of entrepreneurs who are looking to prove something to someone else. And so they use, instead of going down the path of something else, they go down the path of entrepreneurship to fill a hole within. And I was that entrepreneur. Um, I never, I've never had a problem, thankfully, knock on wood with drugs and alcohol, but I've had a problem with entrepreneurship that I was never good enough. I was never big enough. I would compare myself to others. And when I, I've got a couple of clients right now who are CEO entrepreneurs and they're in recovery programs and to hear them, them talk about the challenges they've had with the substances and how they've pivoted that into growing and scaling businesses, you know, they have a lot more awareness around it, but they basically, a lot of them will say, I've swapped one addiction for another. I'm now addicted to entrepreneurship. It's a healthier addiction, but my behaviors really do show up very similarly. So then I help them work through manifesting different outcomes and, and, and having a different awarenesses that maybe they didn't have when they were, you know, in, in the throes of their, their chemical addiction. So for me, I think it's something that a lot of people don't either aren't aware of or they don't want to talk about because there's a certain amount of shame and guilt attached to it. Well, the only way we get through that is, is by talking about it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm just trying to think what the 12 step recovery <laughs> steps are. Do, do they map properly across or, or in general? Uh, terms? <laughs> it's, it's more in general terms. I'm not sure it's exactly, but so a lot of it is to, to recognize that, um, you're powerless over your addiction. You're, you're, uh, if you're, you're, yeah. powerless, you're powerless over, over certain things, once you realize that you make different changes. So I was, you know, when I was wrapped up in almost crashing my business, I was very much trying to take more control, take, take more control. So that my more control behavior is very much similar to the person who's drinking too much. And they'll say, I can stop anytime. Well, no, they really can't. They need help. Well, I, I can change, turn this business around anytime. No, I really need to get help. So it's more that kind of parallel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. So last couple of questions. Firstly, what about those days where it all goes horribly wrong? How do you deal with those? Well, they do happen. They do happen. <laughs> rarely, it's funny. It rarely doesn't happen just with my clients. Like this, just funny you mentioned, this is a great question. It just happened the other day where it all went horribly wrong. Yeah. Um, my, my furnace died. Um, the internet died. So our, our daughter couldn't get on to, to school. So I, it's cold. I have no internet. I can't get hold of my clients. My clients are all in chaos of crisis. So I have to do everything on the phone. I can't see them. Um, and it, it was one of those situations where I, I really doubled down on something that I talk about in my book. And it's called the Stockdale Paradox. It's dealing with your brutal reality yeah. and, and having faith that it will, will all somehow, tr- it will be the defining moment in the end. And don't put your head in the sand. And so, what I decided in the middle of all this chaos and crisis of everybody being upset about something was, you know what, this is happening for me. It's not happening to me. And so because it's happening for me, what, what am I supposed to learn from this? What are the teachable moments in this? And I just, and what it did for me was it slowed my brain down. It took me out of being hijacked and it allowed me to, to, to be a better service to others. Yes. I love that that switch, as you say, to the to it happening for you rather than to you. Uh, so so much, so often diversity and and not diversity. Oh, my words have gone completely funny today. <laughs> I don't <laughs> okay. mean diversity. I can't even think what the word was I meant. But you know, when bad things happen to us, we can let them be bad things, or we can turn them round into, as you say, 
you know, why did that happen? What can I do differently as a result of it? What can I learn from it? And, and it's such a motivational way of, of turning those things around. I'm it's, gonna... it's one of those things that I actually, it, it, I've learned this repeatedly from my coach, Danny Friedland. Um, he's, he's one of those people who just, you know, sees opportunity within tragedy. Um, right. He, he's recently been diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And in his coaching model, he's decided to make this the defining moment of his life. So he's creating essentially a video blog series on YouTube where he, his wife and his two sons who are one's in college and one's in, in high school are telling the journey of their story. And, you know, I was just devastated when he, when he informed me of this, this disease yeah. because he's, the, the irony is he's a neurosurgeon by training. So he knows more about the brain than any other person I know. Yes. And when he's telling me the story, I said, how are you, how are you so calm about this? He goes, I've decided this is happening for me and not to me. And he wrote the foreword for my book. And he goes, I, he goes, I stole some of your stuff, which made me laugh because I'm like, you're the, you're, the, you're, you're the guru. I'm just, I'm the second in command. You're the guru. And we had a long conversation about intentions, not expectations. And he goes, my intention is to make this the defining moment of my life. He goes, I, I know my, he goes, I now know my time is short. This is a gift. And he just moved through it so well. He goes, he goes, I want to impact the world. He goes, I'm going I want to impact the world when I'm gone. And this is how I'm going to choose to do it. I mean, it just, it just so landed with me in such a powerful way that when the internet goes out or when the heat goes out, or I've got clients that are upset or I'm upset, I just remember what Danny talks about. He's like, something, this is happening for you, not to you. Yes. Yeah. I really love that. Thank you. And then lastly, what about those days where you get to live more? That's why I talk about getting to do more of the things that you want to do and less of the stuff that you don't. What do those days look like for you? Well, the, the, the blessing for me is I get a lot of those days. I kid you not. I just get a lot of the, I'm a, such a lucky human being, you know, and I really believe it is part of the life by design thought process. So, you know, a great day for me is, you know, I break it down super, super simply. This isn't, this isn't my quote. This is Tony Robbins. And he says, success is doing what you want, when you want, where you want, with whom you want, as much as you want. Mm. And I can do that anywhere. You know, I worked, I was so blessed about 12 years ago, I worked with a guy named Simon Sinek. He has this really powerful Ted talk on the, the yeah. power of why. And, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard of him, uh, but I actually got a chance to work with him. And I spent two years to figure out my two words. My two words are improve lives. So I can improve lives wherever I go, I can improve them you know, with a client. I can improve it. Maybe someone on the podcast today got, got one or two ideas they had not thought of before and it improved their lives. Uh, I just was on a, 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 I volunteered to go speak at a high school online. And I, and I had all these teenagers asking me all these really hard questions about why, why is COVID happening to me? And why, what do I do about this? And why does this suck so much? And all those different things. And I was able to help them. It's really that, that blessing of being of service is such a, is such a powerful thing for me. So, mm-hmm. I, and, and the great thing about technology and the great thing about travel and the great thing about the internet and, and different programs, is I can literally have success wherever I go if I have the right mindset, if I go into it with that intentional thought process. So I can work with my, I can work with my clients. I can talk with my family. I can play baseball at night. That's a great day. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not, doesn't have to be, um, you know, private jets and five-star meals and, you know, front row tickets to see Paul McCartney, but not that I would turn that down. No, I would no. definitely take that on. <laughs> so Brilliant. I yeah. just, I just decided I, I can have the, the life I want the day I want more often than, than I don't have to, because that's, yeah. it's the yeah. hard to find it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. 
And for all those people listening who have been shouting at the, the uh, podcast device, um, telling me that I meant adversity rather than diversity, uh, I've put you out of your misery. <laughs> I knew it was a word similar to what I was using and couldn't think what it was, but there we go. So adversity was the word I was looking for. Anyway, uh, um, <laughs> thank you so much, Todd. It's been really good uh, talking to you today. Uh, tell people how they can get in touch with you and um, find out more about what you do. Yeah, so the best place to reach out to me is on my website, extraordinaryadvisors.com. And what what I, I think would be potentially valuable for people is if someone has, if I've said something that landed with you today and you've gotten value out of our conversation today, what, send me an email. Say, hey, I'd like to have 30 minutes of your time. Can we just talk? No charge, totally free because um, I've got chaos around this or I've got crisis around this or I'm stuck around this. And all I ask is that you, you mentioned that you heard me on Joe's show so that I can give her the, 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 the kudos and the feedback and the thank yous so that I can pay it forward. So I, I love talking to people. I love connecting with, I've talked to literally talked to people from around the globe. So if anybody's heard me, they want to have a conversation, 30 minutes, no charge, just email me at Todd at extraordinaryadvisors.com and I'll get you on my calendar. Brilliant. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for your time today. You're very welcome. Thank you. Attention home-based coaches and consultants. Are you tired of feeling alone, isolated and frustrated with running your home-based coaching or consulting business? Are you sick of feeling like your life would be better and you'd be happier if you felt more organised and productive? Do you feel like there's simply not enough time in a day to get all the things done that you need to do to build a successful business while making time to live more? It's time to stop the isolation and start getting more organised, productive and focused on the skills that will move the needle forward. It's time to join the Power to Live More Calm membership. If you're ready to, stop creating the wheel and focus on the things that truly matter in your life and business. Learn what you need to know to be successful and live more. Get accountability help from a group of like-minded home-based business owners. To learn more about the Power to Live More Calm membership programme and apply, Visit powertolivemore.com slash get calm. Use your power to live more.